0: book of Acts. Uh, Today marks week 39 of the book of Acts. Uh, We are a church that desires to know Jesus and we have believed the best way to know Jesus is to go through his word. Uh, He's given us his word for a reason um, and we desire to preach it Um, and and we love going through books of the Bible because it really does give us a bigger picture of God's heart, uh, of of who God is, uh, what he's inspired and spoken uh, to many um, and, and so we want to be obedient to that, and so we've been in the book of Acts, and our main theme um, going through the book of Acts is all of Jesus for all the world. Uh, when we look at Acts, that, Christ's mission, Christ's great commission to make disciples among the nations— um, is, is evident throughout Scripture and even in the book of Acts. And we know that in order for all of Jesus to become all the world, we have to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we saw at the beginning of Acts the empowerment of the Spirit come among his apostles and his disciples. and We've seen God do some pretty incredible things. We've seen God cross over into racial territories. We've seen him go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world, according to them. We've seen him go through Asia. We've seen Christ go into Europe and Macedonia and Philippi. We've seen um, the Ethiopian eunuch uh, be evangelized by Philip and, and, and go back to Africa, where we believe that God began to do incredible things in Africa. And he's done some pretty amazing things through the life of Paul. And this morning, we're going to be in Acts 21. We're going to go through Acts 22. Um, And what we're going to see is Paul winding down um, his third missionary journey. This is going to be the end of Paul in terms of being able to go and evangelize and and make disciples. Um, And now what we're going to see is is all the arrests and the trials over the next couple weeks. And we're going to see Paul's response, his defense, in the middle of what is happening and the question that we have to answer is that in the midst of adversity, in the midst of, of, of people coming at us, in the midst of, of being called bigots and everything else, how do we respond? What is our defense? And so as we, as we get going this morning, I'm going to invite you to stand this morning as we read together um, God's holy word. Uh, we're going to be in Acts 21. Um, if you want to read it out loud with us, it is on the screen. Um, If not, we encourage you to to listen, but we want to respect and honor God's Word. Um, And so starting in Acts chapter 21, starting in verse 17, we read this. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, He related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they had heard it, they glorified God, and they said to him, You see, brothers, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and for what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then all took the man, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification will be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. When the seven days were almost completed, The Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on them, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple." he inquired who he was and what he has done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts about the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. And as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense I now make before you. And when they heard what he was addressing them in Hebrew language, they became even more quiet and said, I am a Jew, born in Titus in Cilicia, but brought up in the city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. As the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear witness, from them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. And as I was on my way and near near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who are with me saw the light, but not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother, Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to every one of you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And when I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple. I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, They themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed me. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Uh, We're going to stop there. You guys can be seated. So as a church, not only do we believe uh, in prayer, which is why we we spend time praying. Uh, We believe that a powerless church is a prayerless church, and so we want to be filled with God's Spirit and God's power, and so we desire to pray. But we also desire together to proclaim and read his word out loud because all throughout Scripture, that is something that honors God, speaking Scripture over each other. Um, And so, Lord, this morning... (laughs) Lord, we're getting into some of the hardest parts of Paul's life. Lord, we're, we're winding down um, the book of Acts. And what we're going to see over the next couple of weeks is his defense among different councils. And we're going to see how he reacts, how he represents you, how he brings your name glory, but boldly keeps preaching the gospel even in the midst of adversity. God, I pray that we as believers... would have hearts open to hear what you have for us this morning. May your word, may your spirit speak. May our eyes be open to how you're moving this morning, Jesus. But God, we desire to be obedient, to bring your name glory. And Lord, we thank you for that, Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. So last week, we were faced with Paul's Gethsemane moment the moment that his disciples began to get the same vision that he's been getting from the Spirit, that if he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to be bound. He's going to be arrested. And his disciples, Paul's, Paul's friends, Christ's disciples, were trying to get him not to go. But Paul's response is, look, why are, you, why are you doing this? I'm called to preach the gospel. I'm called to faithfully follow Jesus. And if that means arrest and death, And praise Jesus, I'm going to do that. And what we learned last week is that followers of Christ, regardless of the cost, by the power of the Holy Spirit, must follow Jesus, regardless of where it brings us, regardless of the persecution that we're going to face, regardless of what the world's going to say about us, we have to be obedient to Jesus. And we talked about, man, I'm so grateful for many different missionaries who had went, who've answered that call to go, regardless of what people were going to do him. If you, if you remember or know the name David Livingston, right, he brought the gospel into the heart of Africa, and people were trying to get him not to go, but he says, I have to go. I have to be obedient to Christ. William Carey, who the, is the father of modern missions, when he was rung, rose up in Europe and said to a group of pastors, I'm going to India to make the gospel known there. One of the pastors rebuked young Carey and said, sit down, young man, you are an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen into India, he will do it without consulting you or me. But Kerry wouldn't be persuaded, and praise God, he didn't back down from going to India. Mr. Judson, a Baptist missionary, had a desire to go to Burma. Many closest to him told him not to go, but he went to proclaim the gospel to the Buddhists in Burma. Many, many different stories. We can even think about some of our own in the Christian American Alliance who are going to some hard countries, closed-access countries. And many of us would say, why are you going? They don't like Christians. Why are you going to go? Stay here. Stay in your comfort zone, and everything will be okay. But I'm so glad that as international workers, they're going to proclaim Jesus to some of the hardest access points. Why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is worth it, and it's worth them going and potentially losing your life if it means that someone gets to spend eternity with Jesus. And so we've seen all these, and we saw Paul himself never back down from what God has for him. And if you remember, Paul's desire, he wanted to go to Rome. If you look at Romans 15, it says that he was writing to the Romans and said, I desire to go to you uh, by way of Spain. He wanted to keep going on his journey. He wanted the gospel to go to other parts of the world, but yet God had other plans. And God continually showed him, hey, you're going to go to Jerusalem first and you're going to be arrested. And out of that arrestment was actually God being able to bring him to Rome and for him to advance the gospel among the imperial guards that were in Rome. But here is Paul finally getting to Jerusalem, finishing up his third missionary journey, We've, we've seen him go throughout Galatia and Ephesus and Asia, into Macedonia and Philippi, down to Corinth, and, and all around the known world, bringing the gospel regardless of the cost. We've seen many give their lives for Jesus in the book of Acts. We've seen Paul continuously be persecuted, but the gospel was so worth it to him. And now we see him finally getting to Jerusalem. What was Paul's response? What was he going to tell the leaders of the church in Jerusalem what God has been doing? And so we see him arriving in Jerusalem, and the brothers and sisters in Christ greeted him warmly. And it says that he was with James and among the other elders. We know that James is the brother, half-brother of Jesus. He is the writer of the book of James. James, at this point, is probably the main leader of the Jerusalem church here in Acts And Paul goes and he tells the people all that God has done, not what Paul has done, not what the disciples have done, not what is happening in all the church plants, but what God has been doing. Church, our greatest defense that we have as believers, our greatest testimony that we have is bringing glory to the name of Jesus. Because that should be our goal. Our goal in life, our goal as Christians, regardless of what happens, is to bring glory to the name of Jesus in everything that we do. That should be our primary goal. Christ-centered disciples bring glory to the name of Jesus, right? And and what we're gonna see in this chapter, in in this context is this, is that Christ-centered disciples are passionate about God's glory, the unity of the church, and the evangelization of all people, That should be our goal. That should be our desires. And so Christ-centered people, they lift up the name of Jesus, not their own. They don't take what God does for granted. They tell it to the world. Church, if God, if you have experienced the grace of the Lord Jesus and you've experienced his grace, we are to tell it. We can't just sing about it. If you don't want to talk about Jesus, then don't sing about Jesus. Don't sing about his grace. Don't sing about how amazing he is if we're not willing to go and tell the world that Christ is amazing, that he's worth it, that, that transformation in Jesus is everything. Paul, that was his desire to know Christ and nothing else. His, his desire was to know the power of the resurrection and proclaim it to the world because we know that in the end, the resurrection leads to life. And so Paul was telling the James and others, hey, God is doing some pretty incredible things. And what was their response? Well, their response was that they rejoiced. Christ-centered disciples rejoiced together in the ministry of the gospel. That is why I am so passionate about networking, and so passionate about celebrating what God is doing among all the other churches here in the community. Why? Because if their mission is to praise Jesus and fulfill the Great Commission and stand upon biblical values, then I want to celebrate what God is doing in their communities. We're not against each other. God has intentionally planted other local churches to meet specific people for his kingdom and for his glory. And together as believers, we should celebrate what God is doing. That's not always easy. I, I can, I, you know, James, there were probably times that they were probably jealous as what Paul was doing in Philippi and in Corinth and in Galatia and Ephesus and in all these other countries and cities that he was a part of. I can imagine that there are times where their flesh would have gotten the best of them. As a pastor, man, I have to continually work at not getting bitter about what God is doing in other churches. I have to work on not being jealous of, of the technology they have and all the things they have. And God is, instead, God is calling us, hey, celebrate that the gospel is being proclaimed. Celebrate that lost people are coming to know him, even if that is not your church. We're called as believers to celebrate what God is doing among the nations constantly. So Christ-centered people rejoice together in the community. They don't get jealous they continue on in the gospel. When God is at work in other places, saving sinners by his amazing grace, it always it's always reason to rejoice. We are never in competition with other like-minded Christians. We're on the same page. So no matter what church is here, if they are centered upon Jesus and they're centered upon scripture and they're centered upon making sure that the gospel is made known, we celebrate and support that. And so, They celebrated with Paul, (laughs) but how does Paul respond when they begin to bring accusations against him? Hey, Paul, listen, it's great that what you're doing among the Gentiles, it's great that lives are being changed, but here, listen, many of the Jews who know Jesus, all the thousands of Jews have come to know Christ, they're really getting upset with you that they're hearing that you're telling Jews in Gentile churches not to continually follow uh, the book of Moses not to continue follow and custom of circumcising their children. We're, we're hearing this. So, Paul, what are you going to do about it? They're, they're hearing that you're against their traditions. And Paul is like, I'm not. Matter of fact, we're going to see later on that he claims to be a Jew, still celebrating in Jewish customs and Jewish believers, even though he believes that salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. And so James and the elders are like, hey, Paul, Listen in the midst of keeping unity among the Jewish believers, in the midst of keeping unity among uh, the churches here, hey, this is what we're going to ask you to do. We're going to ask you to show the Jews that you're not in in, uh, defiance of that. You're not telling them not to do it. And so they ask him, hey, take these four men, who are going to be purified. Uh, the Nazarene vow that's found in Numbers chapter six is what they're going to do. And so they're going to go dedicate themselves, purify themselves in the temple. And Paul, you're to go with them and purify yourself, showing that you, rep- that you still uh, still allow, still follow, still, still hold to some of the traditions that are going on. And so Paul, what did Paul do? He stood his ground and said, no. No, that's not exactly what he did. Paul was obedient to his leadership. He was obedient to the, Jew, to, to the Jerusalem church leaders, the elders, the, big, the, 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 the main church. He was obedient to them. Why? Because if we look throughout Scripture, we see constantly that Christ, that Christ is calling us to represent the gospel and to be obedient to things as long as they don't compromise the good news of Jesus. And so Christ-centered disciples humble themselves for the sake of the gospel, Paul could have had the right to say no. He could have stood his ground. He could have called them out. He could have done many different things to them. He could have gotten angry. He could have shaken his fist. No, he humbled himself. And if we remember what Paul says in Corinthians, to the Jews, I become like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. Paul was willing to humble himself for the sake of unity, for the sake of the gospel. Listen, if James at all was telling Paul to go against the good news of Jesus, to forsake Christ in any way, Paul would have said no. As believers, we are to stand upon Scripture, and if there are things that people are asking us to do that go contrary to Scripture, contrary to God, we are to be defiant of that. But Paul, in this moment, understood that this wasn't compromising the good news of Jesus. Matter of fact, it was solidifying. And so Paul humbled himself for the sake of the gospel, and he was obedient to it, and so he went and he purified himself. As Christians, we have to be aware of that. We're going to come in contact with different ethnicities, different cultures. We're going to be called to be missionaries in other countries, and there's going to be things that we are to do in order for the gospel to be effective. That's why you see so many times Uh, when when, when international workers go into Muslim countries, you'll see a lot of Americans wear uh, what the woman there wear to honor that so that the gospel doesn't get pushed away. And so Paul, in this moment, this was cultural. This wasn't, James had nothing about salvation. He knew that salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. This was nothing about this. This was culture in the moment. And so, Paul honored that, and he was obedient to that. And so, but unfortunately, while Paul was in there doing these things, there were some Jews from Asia who began to cause trouble. They began to cause, they recognized Paul, and they began to cause uh, riots and and things to to rise up and for for things to go along. And so all this chaos was happening, and Paul was arrested. Paul was, was being accused of some far outrageous things, things that he wasn't even doing, but yet they, they accused him, they arrested him. And if you remember, remember from last week, what did the prophet Agabus say that was going to happen to Paul? What did he take from Paul? His belt. And what did Agabus do with his belt? He bound his hands and his feet and Agabus said, the owner of this belt is going to be bound like this in Jerusalem. So look what it says. Where's it at? So they, they, they took Paul, and it says that they put him in two chains, right? Uh, verse 33. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains, right? And so prophecy was beginning to be fulfilled. Paul was bound by hands and feet. But he, listen, earlier, right? Verse 27, when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who's teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place, right? They're accusing Paul uh, of speaking against... um, traditions, and culture of Judaism. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. So they're lying to him about him. They're making accusations about him. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all of Jerusalem was in confusion. Some were like, what is going on? Some were against Paul. Others were like, this isn't what actually is happening. And so Soldiers and centurions came and arrested him, and they bound him with two chains. And they inquired who he was and what he has done. 34, some in the crowd were shouting one thing and some another. So they really couldn't get an answer as to what God was doing, what what was happening. Why was Paul being accused? Why were these riots happening? And so in order to fully understand that, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. But look what it says in 35, and this is where we get the fact that he is probably bound hand and feet. He, when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. So he was completely bound. They pick him up, and they move him. The mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. Right? This is exactly some of the things that were happening to Jesus when Jer- Jesus was arrested in Jerusalem and everything that was happening there. And so as Paul was being brought into the barracks he said to the tribune may I say something Right here's the ironic thing they were accusing Paul of going against Jewish tradition but what was Paul doing when they found him They were he was purifying himself he was literally following what they thought he was speaking against right and so Paul was actually purifying himself following in those footsteps and so he was arrested and he was ordered back to the barracks. But did James' plan backfire? Did his, James' plan that, hey, if you do this, maybe you'll appease the Jews and they won't get angry? Did it backfire? Well, some, of us, some people would say, yeah, well, he, Paul was arrested. This didn't appease the Jewish people. But I don't think it did. Because here's the thing we got to understand. God's sovereign. God's will will play out. Right? No matter what happens, if God's will was for Paul to be arrested, no matter what was going to happen, Paul was going to be arrested to fulfill what God had for him. Listen, we have to understand this, is that as Christ-centered believers, we have to be obedient to Jesus. We have to be obedient regardless of the outcome. Paul knew that this was going to happen, He could have backed out at any point. But look what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Church, listen. If we desire to passionately live for Jesus, the world's going to hate that. And the world will come against that. And as believers, we will be persecuted. But our response is Everything our response in the midst of persecution, our response when the world is uh, going to accuse us of some pretty incredible things, right? The world's going to accuse us of bigotry. They're going to accuse us when we stand against abortion and we stand up for what God's word says. They're going to push back against us. Those things are inevitable, But how we respond, are we going to continually put our foot down are we going to be bold in the midst of persecution? Are we going to be courageous in the midst of persecution when the world is going to yell and scream in our face? What is our response? There are going to be many Christians, and unfortunately it happens where many Christians, they get pushed back and so then they shut up and they, just, they go into silence and they don't stand upon the word and, and they're, they're quiet about it. Why? Because they don't want to cause any uproar. They don't want to cause anyone to get angry at them. And so they're not going to talk about Jesus. Listen, Paul himself said, no matter what happens, I'm going to preach Jesus boldly. And he did. And as a result, he was arrested. Listen, here's the one thing we got to understand, is that Christ-centered disciples should always be ready to give a defense of the hope that we have in Christ. Don't back down from it. God's word calls us to bring glory to Jesus. He calls us to stand and value this word. This word is inerrant. This is the breath of God. Are we willing to be obedient to it? Are we willing to step out to to stand upon what we believe biblical marriage is, what we believe life is? Are we willing to stand and say, you know what? No. But are we willing to do it with gentleness and respect? Look, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. When the world is coming at you and accusing you, it is so easy in our flesh just to blast back at them, to accuse them right back. Paul, he's arrested. He's asked to speak. And in this beautiful first uh, encounter here, what we get is Paul telling his story, but he did it with gentleness. He did it with respect. He didn't yell at them. He didn't scream at them. He didn't harshly accuse them of anything. He said, like, listen, well, here's the one thing we got to understand is that we have to know who we are, where we came from. We have to know whose we are, right? We're ultimately, we're Christ." And we have to be willing to talk about Jesus. But this doesn't mean that you forsake your American citizenship. Paul never forsake his Jewish citizenship. We're going to see that he never forsake his citizen as a Roman. He still stood for what he deserved, what was given to him as a citizen. We are called to stand upon what we as American citizens have, but we are to do it with gentleness and respect. We have to learn when we are to stand upon our citizenship and when we're called to stand upon Jesus. Ultimately, we're always called to stand upon the gospel, but as American citizens, we have rights. As American citizens, we, we, we have things that we value and we're, we're to stand against, right? The, the, the freedom of religion, the freedom of worshiping in a church is something that we have as American citizens, and we should know those values. We should know what we have but we're to do it with gentleness and respect. Paul never abused that, but he said, listen, I'm a Jew. And as a Jew, hear me out. And they did. They listened to Paul. And he wasn't afraid to tell his his story, right? They were accusing him of actually being an Egyptian assassin. Aren't you the Egyptian whose cause to stir up a riot? This Egyptian that he's accused of, according to Josephus, which is a famous historian, is that this Egyptian assassin was a false prophet who presented himself as a new Moses or Joshua. He gathered thousands of followers, lived in the desert. He predicted that Jerusalem's walls would fall like Jericho's when surrounded by his men, leaving Roman forces exposed. Instead, what actually happened was that 400 of his men were killed, 200 were captured, and he as an Egyptian ran away and fled. And so they were actually accusing Paul as the one who's doing this And Paul says, no, listen, I'm a Jew, right? He understood Greek. He served, you know, listen, he served in Tarsus, which was a very educated part of the world. And so Paul knew languages. He knew how to speak Greek. He knew how to speak Hebrew. And so here's Paul asking these men in Greek, hey, can I speak? And then he responds to the crowd in Hebrew. And he gives an account of all that was happening, saying, listen to the Pharisees to the religious leaders, to the Jews. Listen, fathers and brothers, right? He was identifying with them and he said, listen, I was, am a Pharisee. I was the one that persecuted the way. I was passionate about God and his law and I wanted to persecute the way of Christ. And so I actually went and I arrested and I killed people. Actually, I was the one at the stoning of Stephen watching as this was going on. I celebrated these things. But something happened when I took a letter from the brothers, from the Jewish leaders, to go and persecute others on the way to Damascus. And on the way to Damascus, I was encountered. I encountered the living Jesus. Christ himself spoke to me. And he said, Why are you persecuting me? I have a plan for you, Paul. Go to the city. And a man is going to talk to you. And so he goes into the Damascus, he goes into the city, and he's met with a man named Ananias. We don't know why Luke leaves out some of the discussions that were happening, but the one thing that he did say is that Ananias was a man respected by the Jews. He was still trying to appease the crowd, saying, hey, listen, a Jewish man, a man of the law, a follower of Christ, came and spoke to me, and this is what he said, right? And then he called me to repent, be baptized. Wash away my sins. But Luke then goes to include something we don't see at the beginning of Acts 9. It says that Paul, while in the temple, right, he, he was in the temple talking to the Father, and, and, and God says, hey, I want you to leave Jerusalem because they're not going to accept your testimony here. Go. But Paul wrestled with that. He said, God, no, I, I should stay. This is a great report for the people here in Jerusalem. And he says, no, rise and Go to the gentiles paul's calling was to go even though he wrestled with it even though he he wanted to stay but he knew that he had to be obedient to the voice of christ reminder christ centered disciples know who they are they were who they're becoming whose they are and they're bold with their calling paul was calm he was courageous but he knew his assignment And so as followers, we share in this truth with our words and we demonstrate it with our attitude. There's so many things that we can look at, so many things that we can do, but we have to be obedient to Christ in our lives. Paul was gonna be a witness to everyone for what he's experienced. He wanted to show them that he wasn't against their Jewish heritage, but he also wanted to show them that he was called by the transforming grace of the Lord Jesus. For I preach the gospel, 1 Corinthians, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid up upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. He had a full-blown Isaiah 6 moment in his vision that he was to go and proclaim Jesus. We know that Isaiah stayed, but Paul had to go. So what is the Lord saying to you? Each and every single one of us, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, has a calling on our lives. God is calling us to represent him. For some of you, he's called you to be a farmer and to represent Christ there. For others, a doctor. For others, a realtor. For others, a police officer, an accountant. Whatever that is, God has specifically called us to a task, but in that task, we are to preach Jesus. We are to represent him with our words and our attitudes. All of those things matter. Only churches that love people and stand firmly on the gospel against the winds of culture will have anything to offer this broken world. Don't back down. Have courage. Be bold. Do it with gentleness and respect. Don't don't do it screaming and yelling. But you're going to have people who are going to come in your face. You're going to have people who accuse you of being a follower of Jesus. They're going to accuse you of being a bigot They're going to accuse you of not respecting culture. But Christ, people, the way of Jesus is countercultural to the world. We are called to be separate. We're called to stand out. We're called to understand that there are lost people in our world who need Jesus. And if we're silent on this issue, then people every day are going to go to hell without knowing who Jesus is. There are people in our community who are dying every single day who don't know Jesus. Do their their lives matter? Yes. To God, lost people matter. What are we doing to proclaim Jesus? How are we overcoming our fears, our, our comfort zones, right? It's comfortable to stand back, to come to church, worship Jesus, hear what the pastor has to say, and then go home and do nothing with it. That's the easy part. The hard part is actually saying, you know what? I'm a believer in Christ, and Christ has called me to stand boldly on the gospel, to preach Jesus to the nations. And if I'm going to do that, then by God, God, give me the strength to do that. Listen to what Jesus had to say in Matthew. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Church, there are lost people who are prime. There are lost people who are desperate for hope, desperate for joy, desperate to find peace. We have a world where where media and other things are lying to them about what brings them joy, what brings them happiness, how are they to live their lives. And we have Jesus who's saying, hey, in me, you will have fullness of life. The harvest is plentiful. There are many lost people wanting to know what truth is. And we have truth. Are we willing to get out of our comfort zones? Are we willing to be persecuted, to be denied? To be pushed back, if it means that seeds are planted and the gospel is proclaimed. Now, this doesn't mean if God calls you to hold a sign down at the corner, great. Some people are called to hold that sign, they're called to to be down at the corner and call people to repentance. Right? We need the John Baptists of the world. But we also need people who are compassionate, who are gonna get to know people, who are gonna enter into their lives. And pray that God brings openings for you to share the gospel with them. But every single one of us, I firmly believe, interact with the lost people every single day without noticing it. Their souls matter. Are we living for Jesus in a world that wants nothing to do with him? Even though their souls are searching and longing for that fulfillment. Church, we have a calling. We have a prime mission field here in Holmes County, here in Millersburg desperately need to know the truth. May we have courage. May we be passionate about the gospel. May we be hungry to represent Christ in everything that we do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, you've called us to proclaim your word, but in the words of Chuck Swindell, our attitude matters. Our attitude is just as important how we represent you, how we view others, how we have a heart and compassion for them, just like Paul matters. Paul had compassion. He had a heart. He, he humbled himself, right? Became became a servant for you, even though it knew that his death was, was happening. But he still loved them. He still had a calling on his life. May we be obedient to the calling. May we continually stand boldly upon your scripture, upon your word, may we do it with gentleness and respect. Empower us, Lord. Fill us. May we walk in the power and filling of your spirit, not in our flesh. And may we live out the gospel in our lives, Jesus. Thank you. Amen.